Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head Network at friendsinyourhead.com. Each episode, we examine two or more documentaries through the lens of a common theme. This week's theme, illusion. The art of it, why we practice it, why we maybe need it, and the implicit agreement between the two. We explore this theme through two documentaries, Deceptive Practices and The Imposter. Uh, just to start us off, I'm kind of drawn to stories that examine both identity and subjective truth. So both of these films were kind of right up my alley. And it examines kind of both ends of the equation, the performer or the giver of the illusion, and then also the audience or the receiver of the illusion, and how like the kind of the symbiotic relationship between the two and how they sort of need each other. And there's like this implicit agreement, like that whole thing just fascinates me. And both of these documentaries from both a narrative standpoint and a technical standpoint, I think accomplish this well. Uh, joining me this week is to my right, T. Chrissy. I love shared subjective truth. Paul Santagata. Or am I? <laughs> Michael Dorkman Scott. Hi. And Trey the Amazing Soaks. I'm not actually here right now. What? You just wanted me to be. <laughs> subjective anyway. truth. And that's a, I, I would not even have put that theme together for these two movies. But that's in addition to illusion. That's a perfect thing for them. Yeah. Subjective, subjective truth. truth and shared subjective truth. Yeah. But we, I, I think subjective truth is sort of the, the end result or the byproduct. The act that gets us there is the act of creating an illusion. And that's where both of these kind of came into place. I saw the imposter first. Uh, and that's one we'll talk about first. And then after seeing, and then I, I knew as soon as I saw, it, I'm like, damn, we want to, we have to do this. And then, uh, and then after seeing Ricky, I always thought about what I could pair it with. And after seeing Ricky J's doc, I'm like, Oh, like a glove, especially when you get later into the Ricky J documentary and they start talking about sort of his relationship and like his relationship and its role in his life. Um, for the imposter, however, uh, first I just kind of get general impressions. Teague, when, uh, when you saw the imposter, what were your thoughts? Uh, the Imposter is it, it's available on Netflix and if I recall correctly Deceptive Practice is available on iTunes and probably Amazon so you can yeah. actually watch these movies right now and we're going to spoil them so if you're interested in this do, do that and come back there's not uh, a lot to spoil in the Ricky J documentary yeah yeah, not much there yeah. but Imposter there is Imposter there is uh, yeah. and we're going to spoil it right now because I was blown away when, when Eddie told me that we were doing uh, he was doing this episode and would I be interested in it I, I was watching the trailers for these and the trailer for The Imposter it's so different than the movie which you could say is a good thing or a bad thing. I would never have seen this movie based on the trailer because right. it's following the opposite story in the trailer. In the trailer, you're seeing the story about how a kid went missing and all this other stuff. And in the movie, you immediately start off with the fact that a kid in France was like, I'm your missing son, lol. And he's telling the audience that he was lying at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, from the first scene. As opposed to, we started to figure out that this kid, that our, our son had gone missing, but then we found him again, but he seemed different now. Yeah, the basic premise, really quick. It's not, not a up, slow turn. The, the basic premise of the film, and the one that the trailer, if you were watching on YouTube right now, it will kind of show you, is that there's a kid in the 80s, I think, or 97, I'm sorry, uh, named Nicholas Barkley in, I want to say Texas, yeah, Texas, and he went missing one day. Three years later, they find him in France in a uh, phone booth like by the cops and he called the cops and said or, or, or somebody else called the cops and said yeah we found this kid here it turns out to be this kid that's the launch of this movie so you watch the trailer and you're like oh the movie's gonna be about is this the actual kid nope first three minutes are <laughs> yeah. like I'm not that kid like because yeah. and, and you find this out because the gentleman who portrayed the kid is actually named Frederick Burdine and he's like I am not him. <laughs> so yeah. then at first you have yeah. this weird moment where you're like, well, what are we going to be yeah. doing for the next? Yeah, hour it's not. You think it's going to be about the standard sort of. And then we thought something was wrong and we started to realize. And no, it's it's about the guy. Yeah, it's his story. Why he did this. Yeah, and even that on the face of it, I was interested in it nominally like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the subject for a documentary. Cool. But it didn't really grab me. And I'm so glad that I ended up watching the movie because the really fascinating thing about this. And again, here comes the spoilers, y'all. But the really fascinating thing about this is. After a while, 
you would start to suspect that the family would know what's going on and everyone else that had ever met that kid would know what was going on. And that does happen. Everyone else can tell that it's totally not their son, but the family is like dutifully ignoring the fact that it's not. And that becomes sort of suspicious. I love his, I love his clear bafflement being like, I am not, I have no (laughs) idea why I, why I was getting away. Why is this working? And as it, and as it starts to like come together, like a possible reason for that, or at least a, a the only plausible explanation he has for it and how that kind of corroborates with other things that were happening around him. It's really fucking like, oh my God, get out of there. So impression, impression wise, like when you were watching the film, like what, like there was many things I thought the film did well. What did you think it did well just off the bat? I've never seen that kind of construction before. This was a very interestingly assembled movie. With recreations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of, they're doing this thing where they have the sort of talking head interview, but he's talking in the lens, which is always a choice. That's a particular choice that you can make. But then he's like describing things that have already happened. He's telling you the story and they cut to recreations like you might see in like a murder mystery on TV or something, but he's acting in them Mm -hmm. and apparently they must have done the edit in this really interesting way and filmed the reactions later, like the recreations later because he's, a lot of the time actually like lip syncing to his explanation Mm -hmm. in those as he's like walking away in what was supposed to sort of emulate 10 years ago France or something. It's just a really odd sort of scenario and I found myself really put off by it at the beginning and loving it by the end. Yeah, so I, much, I really I like that. It's much more filmic than documentaries yes. usually are. Yeah. It's, it's similar to like what Errol Morris was doing kind of in the thin blue line. Like, yeah. and, and some of his earlier stuff, he was much more recreation heavy, even in like uh, Mr. Death, he gets a lot like that. Paul, what were your thoughts after having watched it? Uh, I thought the construction was interesting, but pretty irresponsible. Interesting. Go ahead. Explain. You're going through most of this film and they're like portraying it like it's a, fairly straightforward documentary with this guy who's like kind of smiley and like later find out like, pretty sociopathic um, right <laughs> you have this like complete fucking humbert humbert thing going on where he's like telling you how he feels about the story and like he's like oh yeah and then and then I, they, they must have killed him yeah that that's that's the only thing that makes sense and because they're putting that because towards the end of the film they start start casting shade essentially yeah the yeah they start throwing some serious shade at this family that's yeah. just like super dep- like it, it, it and it Just, and it, and, and manuf- I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, no, that's no, because it yeah, because by the end of it, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? And you and you feel like it's irresponsible to kind of th- for him to throw that out there. I'm gonna color having, that part yeah. of the story. That's a complete fabrication of the sociopath that you're like that you've colored as this like kind of endearing kind of well, like emotionally traumatized. But I think it's character. also clear that he is he is totally willing to. You, you can't trust him. <laughs> like, right. like, yeah. you know, like, Talk about it. He was such narrator. a straightforward young man until <laughs> yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah seriously. Uh, Mike, uh, you would see it. When did you see it first? Thing? I saw this um, un- unrelated to, yeah. to the show. I just uh, happened to see it maybe about a month ago. It's been on Netflix I, for a while. It's been on Netflix for yeah. a while and, and Netflix kept kept pushing it on me. <laughs> Come on, Mike. I'm like, okay. Netflix, you might I'll, like The Imposter. I'll, I'll, fine. I'll check it out. And also because I was I was working a lot, so it was something that I could kind of have in the background. Sure. I don't like watching narrative when yeah. I, when I'm doing that. I prefer to watch you know when you're working. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I don't have to watch it all the time. But I found myself watching it like <laughs> it, it, it's really attention grabbing. It's but the way it's constructed and it is very cinematic and and the way it's put together in the narrative and it's really mostly because you have no idea how. Okay, well if they're just turning their whole hand over right now, what more can there be? Yeah, and it just it's like oh god. But I found it really compelling and really fascinating and um yeah just because you're going wait what what is what are we talking about here <laughs> hold on if 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 this is the guy who did it and he's telling us <laughs> his you know he he's letting us into his his box of tricks and then like like we said earlier his 
perplexity at like why am i i have no idea why this was working <laughs> this never should have worked i was just desperate and making these hail marys that totally landed, landed somehow yeah. <laughs> like, your assumption is that his identity is going to be the mystery that's revealed in the right. end of the yeah. movie yeah. and when they give it to you at the front it's like okay yeah exactly go on so, um so yeah it was a very interesting i very different from other documents it, it was very unique yeah um from from my view i don't know you may it may not be that unique i I, you've seen more documentaries than i have i'll say i'll say like it's unique now because Uh the market has been sort of flooded with documentaries and nowadays because again as i've said in the forward the distribution model is as such to where documentaries are relatively cheap and if you have if you especially want to kind of make a polemic or Mm. uh, a lecture interviews b-roll you're yeah. done yeah you, you can get that you can get, you can get that done with your legal for under 50 grand and somebody and, will go that's important i and, should put that online and, and and between and even like my buddy just had a mma doc premiere on xbox this last weekend xbox oh. live network so it's like between that and netflix and all this other stuff i've seen some crap documentaries like just from production value to everything else so the marketplace has been sort of flooded so yeah. it was for me it was nice to be like thank you for doing recreations again and throwing some production value behind yeah, this and a lot like of production in. value in this trey what was your thoughts on it it's well as i've confessed um much like vertigo last week i've only made it halfway through the movie sure but unlike vertigo last week it wasn't because i hated it um <laughs> it's just because i literally have been jammed up on my schedule and like sure. i watched it until i had to turn it off and come here to talk about it so um i thought it was fascinating i've, I've made it about, about 20 minutes in sure so so I, I like like everyone else i was like fascinated by how it didn't start the way you think it would start like and you know 48 hours mystery oh my gosh and the stranger shows up it's like boom cut to the stranger going i lied i lied (laughs) lied lied it wasn't me i'm not that kid i'm seven years older than the kid you're thinking that i am yeah Yeah. it's so it's like okay beard and i'm 12 you know that's i'm at that point where it's like all right well that's Okay, you know, I'm French. How did a Texas kid become French in three years? You know, that's fantastic. Um, I know I'm French and bearded, but trust me, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally him. him. I'm totally oui. him. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I, I'm just at the point where he's explained, he hasn't arrived in, in my viewing yet. He hasn't arrived there. They haven't met Texas. yet. Yeah. But it's all about a really fascinating expose about how he's gaming the system. Yeah. To, to, you know, because everyone wants, oh, it's a missing child. We want to help. We want to be proactive. We want to do things. And he uses that to make people give him the information he needs to move to the next step. And, and so it's like, okay, I, I, I kind of see where this is going. This is about how, how this guy, and he talks about it openly, you know, actively games the system about people want to help people see, Oh, a lost child. Oh, we have to talk to him. We have to help, you know, that, and they'll, they'll totally overlook the elephant in the room, which is like, but why is he middle-aged and French yeah. <laughs> and not a kid from Texas anymore? So there's that. So that's as far as I am into the movie. Um, Weirdly enough, I was I was struck um, of all things. I was struck like I felt like I was watching like an homage to Man on Wire. Because, and it, because yeah, it's like, wait a minute, I'm watching another movie about a French guy recreating the crime he committed. Yeah, and except that we like the one that the other guy did, <laughs> and we don't like the one that this guy. This did. one, yeah, the Wire thing didn't destroy lives exactly. Yeah. But uh, you know, so that was so much. You know, that one had a happy ending. So, um, but it was like I feel like I'm watching Man on Wire again with the with the elaborate recreations and the and the the very to me. I was a little from what I've seen so far. You know, again, fifty percent viewing so far. I was a little put off by the overly studied recreation yes. in which he's narrating and everything else. It took me, I was like, okay, that, okay, that, that that's right. a device that I'm not, I don't see why you're doing that. Uh, for me, it worked only because I think 
okay, if I were to sit down and talk to him, like, okay, so here's what happened. My little brother got kidnapped, and then three years later, we got a call from Spain. We went and we picked him up. He looked nothing like my brother, but we took him home. Stop right there. Like, (laughs) I think in a lot of ways, the recreations serve as a way to see it and and just to see the action happening. And they're very aggressive with the recreations, like 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 Teague was saying, down to the lip sync effort of it. But you know, the, the lip sync is, is where it yeah. crossed the line. I don't mind the recreations, right? right just the lip sync. Another and one that's on our in. list to do is is stories we tell. Exactly, which is, does really interesting things with the recreations as well. Exactly. But, on, all in Super Eight too, which yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that. The, I don't want to. I was, I was really that. looking forward to talking about that one. They, uh, they do a really cool thing where they loop back and when they have him recounting his. Uh, 911 call from yes. yeah, phone halfway yeah. through. The, I don't know if you got to that part yet. Because yeah, what yeah. ends up happening is that they end up recreating the same scenes, but from different angles that explore different stuff. So towards yeah. the end of it, and the reason why I feel like this falls so well in illusion is that it becomes apparent over time that the family was so just destroyed and it wasn't exactly the most stable family to begin with. Yeah. But over time, the family was just so desperate. And, and um, I mean... I lost my son for exactly seven seconds the other day, and I have felt a fear I have never even come close to experiencing. You would have taken a middle-aged French guy in exchange? It is an existential threat to like me and and i had never experienced anything like that and all it was was he was just walking behind me and i couldn't fucking see him for a second <laughs> so we, we need to frame this in saying uh you, you've been in situations where you should have genuinely feared probably far more than but that. that's a, that's what i'm saying is that in, uh, i guess during armed conflict <laughs> yeah i guess that's what i'm saying is that like um it, it's a you know and i'm uh, this is one of those things i'm glad i saw after being a dad is because like it's it's that crippling you need something. And I just saw prisoners as well, mm. which oh, oh, really yeah. taps into that. Yeah, I thought yeah. one of the better movies of like, uh, of that, just that crippling sense of, Oh my, like my entire world is crumbling beneath my feet. Whatever their motivation is. It's so odd. The way the family behaves after all this is yeah. to the point where it's, it, it's difficult to imagine a non <clears throat> sort of, inorganic reasoning or right. motivation on their behalf because it's so even beyond what you want to believe and all that stuff it's so odd the, the, I agree that the implication is reckless at best yeah but just in general it's like what odd behavior at the end of the day it's a movie that doesn't solve its own mystery like the last shot you're you're literally thinking up until the last frame you're thinking like they're gonna find some, <laughs> nope. there's gonna be a thing nope and you're just like fuck like you're just you don't you yeah. don't know where you're going with the it. way that the movie started like makes it seem as though it's going to go somewhere other than so so screwed up right guys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and it never quite gets and then it's there. never quite gets the there, yeah. the uh what what Trey was saying about because you were talking about it uh, fitting into illusion and you were saying about him gaming the system and it struck me then that this actually is a really good um companion piece with with a documentary about a magician yeah. because he was essentially doing mentalism performance yeah. tricks. Yeah. Yeah. He was he, he was doing cold reading exactly. being like surely there's a b- boy missing yeah. in America <laughs> he right? seems to be in Texas yeah that's me that me yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah he's, he's basically John Edwards for the missing kids yeah exactly yeah, and I love how you get sort of drawn in even though he's this sociopath weirdo who by the way is happily married with three children just want to throw that out there now nowadays he is but but you're sympathizing with him in his beginning because you know ultimately catch uh, me if you can guy you know he was kind of crazy when he was younger not abagnale um abagnale yeah what I love is that you're just no audience can resist the temptation to be in on the heist. And like, he's explaining yeah. to you how he gained the system. And I, my favorite little, Can't like help be my favorite moment was I'm watching this thing, which is really bad behavior. What yeah. he's doing to his family it, by way of implication that he has never actually thought of yet, where it's like, Oh, this is really fucked up. What I'm doing to some real people somewhere is like, I'm, I'm like, 
screwed up on his behalf because I'm in his head with this part at his setback when he's like, okay, this kid looks enough like me that it's fine. And he finds out that it was just a shitty Xerox and it looks yeah, nothing exactly. like him at all. But and, I guess and, there, and there's one last moment that's sort of connected to that where um, at one point, and it's a beautiful little piece of editorial hand showing through, at one point he was like, and the only, you know, and he's describing the kid. And it's like, he was blonde, no, blue eyes, no, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, and he had a noticeable gap between his teeth. And it yeah. just cuts to him sort of smiling. It cuts to the, the, the French guy just kind of smiling. And it's like, uh, yeah. and then it just moves on. Like, it doesn't smack in the face of it. It's just like a nice little, okay, I, this might work. Let's see what happens. High wire act. Editor- I, got, I got something to hang my hat on. Yeah. Editorially, gap, it's a super the gap sharp between film. his teeth. Yeah, the gap. The gap. I mean, not just the bone structure. Like you see, because <laughs> yeah. you see all this home video, home video footage of the original kid, and it's this happy-go-lucky like kid, like who just it's not him. Like, yeah. and I guess like he could have gone out for three ninjas and like yeah. gotten one of them. I, and I guess that's like why and, you know you make the point like he was doing such a bad thing. But I, I would I would put it to you like let's assume for the second he never gets caught and he just lives out his life in high school because he enjoyed high school and he had friends and all this other like Frederick Bourdain once he came back to Texas had friends and like he was enjoying high school again and like. And yeah, the part of dating probably gotten really creepy really quick. But <laughs> outside of that, like, had he filled this void for this family, it's like it's it's still wrong, but tainted and not necessarily like it's it gets real murky and it kind of taps into that relationship between the the person giving the illusion and the person's need to accept it because the big twist at the end, and I'm going to say this now, the um, early on when he first meets uh uh, his quote sister, the woman who is allegedly his sister, she comes in and they show this in recreation. Like, oh, here's a photo book. Remember that's your uncle Joe, and over here is is. And remember, remember when Grandma did this? Oh, that's so funny. Under the pretense that he has been through this traumatic experience, and, and you're just reminding him of home. And all he's doing is like, yes, yes, no, that's right. It's coming. It's all coming back to me now. And then towards the end of the movie, uh, you know, past the two thirds mark, he 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 says, he's like, well, look, you know, I think back to that moment. And she's showing me all this stuff, and I'm realizing she's giving me the information I yeah. need to get past the federal agents in the other room. Right. That, no, that is me. that is like, and it's 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 totally it's it's sick and gross. That's but part it's like, of the construction of this movie that kind of bugs me. It's but, brutally but, unsympathetic to it, the family. Well, yes, I mean. But at the end of the day, I think the movie puts it, and I don't think the family outright denies it. Well, it's like it. anti-sympathetic to the family. Like, they do not paint the family well. They spend a lot of time just in favor of his completely crazy idea that they had killed him. That they spend time, like, making them seem weird, making them seem really sketchy. They don't, they like, don't, well, they never what put if the, they're weird and sketchy? They ne- yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's the thing. They never put the, the pin on the head that the entire family is responsible for the possible death of this Yeah, but kid. he's even weirder and sketchier and they're painting him like he's the hero of the film. I never like, got that they were painting him as a hero. Yeah. I think I think from frame one, they're like, this guy did a fucked up thing and he even says himself, it's, you know, he kind of, he kind of gets that way. It's like, and especially the last footage you see is him in the interrogation room imitating Michael Jackson. Like, that's not... That, that was him in prison. That wasn't his yeah. next in, movie. In, in prison, after he's already been arrested and convicted for this crime that he committed. He's... And it's, like, clearly... It's it's hanging the neon sign like crazy. Like, it's it's clearly... it's I don't think it's... I think it's empathetic towards everybody, but it's it's treats everybody with a similar harsh yeah, reality. Doesn't it, doesn't it end? It does the little thing, and he's, like... He lived out his sentence, and now he's somewhere else, yeah, and he's he, married he, and stuff. He paid his debt to society. I but, mean, you know, and like, I remember, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I was fascinated with it, but I remember uh, even even seeing that, he's like, yeah, he, he got out, and now he's married, and, and, so, and, and I'm sitting there going, 
you can't do that. <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't get to have a happy ending. Yeah. Like, so I wasn't, I didn't find myself uh, extraordinarily sympathetic to him at no. the end of it. I, it I, starts, it starts out what I've seen the very first thing. And I don't know if it goes into any further detail, but he talks about how, well, you know, the, the question of why, why do it? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. he was, he says, I, I, I would, my life was terrible. He was, yeah. it, it's implied that he was just sort of alone and on the street. He was know, a street whatever kid, yeah. his life was, was miserable. He goes, I just have to do something. I have to get out of it. Well, you have to have some sympathy for that. Yeah. That, you know, the, yeah. there's no system in place or that he could access, you know, and he was just of a certain kind of person. Like, Here's what I'll do. I'll do this. He's a street kid who had to live off the street. And we never yeah. and, and we never necessarily find out what his home life was like. But you don't assume that it's good. You're given enough yeah. information. to. So it's about it's about, you know, there, there's a need on both sides. There's yeah. a need of the family to be healed. And there's the need of him to have a family. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it is about how there's. Even though everyone, you know, it's it's about how both sides kind of go, yeah, we'll just ignore the parts that don't quite fit because, you know, we both we're getting what we want out of this. Mm-hmm. It's that mutual usury and it's sort of that implicit agreement that like that kind of fascinated about about me is that and I don't think it's I don't even like necessarily think it's wrong of the family to be so eager. Like I sympathize with that family. Let's yeah. say let's say what the film is saying is true, that they're they are actively like willing to accept this kid no matter who he is. I don't, I don't hit on him for that. Like you, you know, it's like you hear about it, like with uh, parents who lose a child and then they immediately start trying again to have another one. Like, yeah. like John Travolta did. It's like, well, they get 15 cats. You you, know, yeah. You can't you know. hate on them. I mean, it's, it's part of the grieving process. Like it's, everybody grieves differently, not always healthily, most times not healthily, but you mm-hmm. do what you do. And that's, that's what it is from a technical standpoint. I thought I was really, it's like, I really want to see a narrative film from this guy. Like, yeah. cause I thought just, uh, just mood wise and what he was able to do color temperature in the interviews. Yeah. Everybody had a certain hue, Texas, obviously a bit warmer, a bit more rustic. I think not just that, but just framing and everything you saw in the background of everybody's uh, headshot, you know, and Frederick, the main guy, purely black behind him, but the yeah. family, you get their environment so much. The FBI officers, everybody involved, you get a sense of what they're doing. Where's the director from? Uh, I will find out in a second via IMDb. But in the meantime, uh, but I believe but until I, then. I believe he's European. I have to find out about that. But I believe he, he from France or something like that himself. But because uh, this was a big story in France, it didn't land quite as hard. I think it never really escaped local news in Texas. But I think it became a big thing in France so at the time. But um, but technically, it really impressed the hell out of me. Trey, from like what you've seen visually and aesthetically from a documentary perspective, how did it sort of? Land yeah, it's you? clearly. Uh, um, um both, both technically and and storytelling wise, it's slick. It's, it's very, it's very, and, and I'm, I wouldn't even go slick. I think it's just, it's it's really well done. Similar to similar to stories we tell, which is you know, I think is really beautifully put together, and unsimilar to the Ricky Jay documentary, which is pretty much just like here's Ricky Jay, he's fascinating, right? Interviews and B-roll. You know, that's yeah. that's it's the, the there's nothing. There's nothing groundbreaking about the Ricky Jay documentary. It's just a damn fascinating topic, and I'm glad someone put that information all in one package that yeah. we can we can eat. But um, but this one, yeah, definitely. There's there was like just like everyone else watching it, thinking, okay, I'm missing kid. You just you know, you, I know how I know how the first thirty minutes of this is going to be. Nope, you know, it really it immediately. Okay, wait, okay, you're you're ahead of me, movie, and that's good. And you know, you're better at this than I am right now. And and yes, you're right that it is isn't. There are talking heads, but they aren't just talking heads there there's some framing and some some positioning and some choices about how they're talking that 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 make it that elevate this from a standard talking head b-roll documentary in the chat zarban says uh bart layton apparently british yeah somewhere in england i knew that i I, you know um 
somewhere in Europe rather that uh, I knew I knew that it was financially and distribution wise a and films came aboard this yeah a films by the way they don't produce a lot but when they do they effing kill it because I think no MSNBC got Dear Zachary but A&E has done like a few ones back to back that have been really really solid uh, and I'm, I'm glad like networks are kind of getting behind this HBO for a long time has been the bastion of getting good documentaries yeah. on the air and yeah, getting them seen by people really great documentaries. if you ever really want to go on a documentary kick even more so than Netflix because uh, Netflix you get the wheat with the chaff on that one but uh, if you have an HBO go account or if you are one, oh, of, the, yeah. if you're one of the 90 Amazing. people I've loaned mine to uh, <laughs> then uh, then you get some really effing good ones and a good diverse cross-section of stuff but they're all very compelling yeah. so it's you really kind of do get a greatest hits and they get a lot of su- uh, stuff that are run theatrically um, Mike, from a writing perspective, what did you feel like in terms of uh, like release of information and how it came at you in this one? Uh, I thought it did a, a really good job. I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons that the um, construction of it with the recreations being very arch the way they are didn't really bother me because the flow was so good. Yeah. I didn't feel like I felt like I was being kept, uh, you know, I. I I had to keep waiting for information just long enough yeah. so that I wasn't getting bored. Um, but it didn't, it, not in the, not in the sense where I was like, come on, just get, all right. I, I get it. Like, you it's, know, it's you're slowly putting stuff. down pieces of cereal in front of boot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, it kind of keeps you just one in front of the other. Exactly. It, it was never a point where they kept, where I felt like they kept harping on a point and it's like, okay, yeah, just get to it. Uh, there was always, and then this happened and we'll talk about this for a little while. But then this, and we'll talk about this for a little while, and just slowly, you know, the first part of it is the story of how he got there, right? How 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 he managed to get into this situation, and then it was this is the the world I'm in, and then it, it became a little less chronological because he was branching out into, okay, this is how this group of people took it, yes. this is how this group of people was reacting. There was the one guy, his uncle or something, that was yeah. like that thread kind of uh-huh. comes in. Uh, but it reminds me of something that Trey Parker said once in that Six Day to Air documentary where he's like, something I found in writing to tighten it up yeah. is change all your ands to buts or therefores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this movie is, it's it's Nothing not like, but, but then this and this and this and this. Yeah. It's more like this, so this, but this, so that. Yeah. The it, narrative kind of splits in the middle section where it kind of, beca- once he lands in Texas, the narrative kind of becomes a race between uh, the FBI person who is in charge of like trying to figure out who the fuck this guy yeah. is. Uh, that person's office kind of simultaneously with what Frederick's life as this kid yeah. in Texas is going to be. And then it's, then it becomes like, instead of aha, I'm deceiving all you people. It becomes this narrative of like, what are these people who are now my family doing? Like what's yeah. going on? And it becomes this cool little parallel action where you can like, you know, mix up the pacing and go back and forth. Editorially. I was, I, I was very happy with that. Yeah. So I want to hear before we move on, I want to hear one last thing from Paul, just kind of like talk more about, uh, specifically like your issues and how you felt as irresponsible. I never considered it, but now I'm like kind of fascinated by it. So take Uh, it, Paul. It's mostly where they were taking, um, stuff like with a private investigator who starts investigating this Mm -hmm. thing. Cause at first it's just like, yeah, it's perfectly reasonable to have some third party be like, this cannot possibly be this guy just from what he can see just on a TV with a picture of both of them. And then to try to figure that out. But, then at the same time to be told like mm, buzz off this is like interpol is involved we need to yeah they're, they're gonna be doing this um but then they start revealing like yeah well he has a history of this or not him but um frederick uh frederick has a history of impersonating missing children all over the world the world yeah 
like, um, okay, why don't you spend a little more time there with that? <laughs> Wait, what? Of, so you felt like uh, you know, time it's, as a resource was allocated in the wrong area there. It felt as though there, I, I could see the strings that they were Pulling. trying to pull and the, the story that they wanted to put in front of you. Is it possibly that you felt that that was a clear implication to this guy as being worse than the movie was portraying him as where there was not any or at least a lot of very clear implications that the family was actually bad, even though it doesn't actually make a very strong statement about either of their worth. There was more there for this guy where it's like you could point out that this is really, really fucked up and they kind of gloss over it. Is that sort of what you're talking about? I think they were. It's it's a. They're trying to construct a very subjective sort of examination of this, or an, an objective examination of this, but they're doing it very like with a very subjective construction. I get that. I get what you're saying, and I kind of feel like it's it's similar in a way to what happened with the Paradise Lost trilogy because Paradise Lost one, they go in kind of the filmmakers uh, Brillinger and Tanofsky go in with the assumption that the West Memphis three is guilty, and then through their experience, they're like, "Whoa, shit! They're not guilty, and we should probably start pinning some information on that." Par- Paradise Lost 2 um, Revelations does a thing where for a long time they think Mark Byers is the guy who killed him and they the film goes out of its way yeah, they, to try to trap it's Mark It's interesting Byers. how they, they, they make a case yeah. for it was actually this guy yeah. which is wrong too. Yeah, which ultimately <laughs> is wrong because by the time you get to three, Mark Byers is like, I was wrong to think these guys killed it. They didn't. I, I was wrong and I have so much sympathy and now me and these guys are pen pals and we're buddies and yeah. it's and now it's like... And to the point where even Damien Eccles wrote to him yeah. saying, I know what it's I, like to be wrongly accused and that was messed up. I'm sorry I'm, that I'm happened. Sorry. I'm, so, I'm, I'm on death row but I'm sorry to you, Mark Byers. Yeah. Like, and and, and so when you look at the and that's why when you and we'll ultimately we're going to do uh, the Paradise Lost trilogy. Versus I need to West see the, the new one, the Peter Jackson. We'll do we'll do the West of Memphis. I saw it. That's what that that's a very and we'll that will be an episode. Is that uh, all West Memphis three folks? Uh, is that oh, wow? That, <laughs> that'll be a happy episode. Oh yeah, not. Oh, I need yeah. to see those just because it's so it's such a fascinating. It's really, it is. It's really it, quite this fascinating story and fascinating meta story. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost the, the only close thing to it is like the is the up series of like the four yeah. years in the sense that not as only as the kids are growing, but the filmmakers are growing. And so by the end of it, you're like you're, the two and three are very odd next to each other. And I feel like what I think Paul's gripes are legit in the sense that they were kind of legit in that way. The difference is, is that those are two films separated by like 10 years and you're, and in the context of one film, I could see how those issues would bug you. I could, I, I definitely get that. That's an interesting thing to think about and we'll, and we'll definitely move on overall. Uh, regardless of that, the imposter is absolutely worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, it's available on Netflix streaming. It's available on Amazon. It's available on iTunes. Um, it's, it's came out, I believe 2012, uh, but absolutely worth seeing it easily could have been called the illusionist, uh, except yeah. There's already a movie named that and a couple, actually. A couple like several. Yeah. And frankly, if you're going to be talking about an illusionist, what better illusionist to have than the master illusionist, Mr. Ricky J himself. Um, the documentary made about him, Ricky J deceptive practices. Uh, it's basically his story. I like Ricky J. I've been a fan of him for a while, but there's people to the left and right of me who are far more experienced and bigger <laughs> fans of Ricky J. And that's why they're here. So Teague, why don't you just give us a, a rundown of who the F Ricky J is? If you don't know what we're talking about, you you would actually probably recognize him as an actor. He's a character actor. He shows up in a number of movies. Uh, one of my favorite of his roles just randomly was in Mystery Men. He yeah. played uh, Captain Amazing's like weird yeah, kind of press agent. agent so whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, he's got kind of a cool, creepy, shifty vibe to him. He's in all of David, David Mamet's movies. Uh, he's, that, uh, uh, he's the cameraman in uh, Boogie Nights. In Boogie Nights, yeah. that's 
first right. season of Deadwood. Uh, you'd recognize him if you, if you Googled him. And what you wouldn't know uh, immediately from just seeing him in movies is that this perfect sort of shiftiness that, that comes in handy as a character actor is the result of him spending years and years becoming a master, master close-up card magician and illusionist in general at cards in particular. Uh, he's been around forever and he started very young and was a huge, huge name in magic at an early age and he's only become as good or better at everything he's done since, uh, presumably because he does the old magician's trick of spending thousands, thousands of hours more than you would possibly imagine someone would spend just to get good at that. And, you know, that, that's basically how all magic works. It's not that there is something that they can do that you can't. It's that the first thing you think where you're like, well, you could do this, but that it would be so impossible yeah, to nail that. Who would spend the time? Yeah, it would be so impossible to, to nail that. Who would possibly spend the time? That's the trick. That's how magic works. Yeah. And Ricky Jay embodies that. I first heard of him when I was really, really into. I was in the Society of Young Magicians uh, as as a kid, and uh, I was really into a guy named Jeff McBride, who's a card manipulator, oh, yeah. and he obsessed with uh, Ricky Jay, who came before him, and. Ricky wrote a, wep- a book called Cards as Weapons, uh, which was also, I- I've seen copies of it. I don't own one and I want one. Every time I go to a bookstore, I look for one. But uh, that went right hand in hand with what I was doing at the time, which was like card throwing. I got really, really good at throwing cards as weapons. Uh, I came at one point within 10 feet of the world record at that point. Uh, I think at that point, the world record was in the 200s of feet and I was like 10 feet shy of that, mm-hmm. uh, which is super cool. I like throwing them into water balance and stuff like that. But go on YouTube and watch Ricky Jay's magic stuff just to get a sense of how great he is. And the other half of his whole thing is that he's excellent on stage. He's just an am- amazingly fascinating guy to listen to. And he's sort of crafted this personality of being, you can't take your eyes off him regardless of what he's doing. And large stretches of this film include like just, just, Chunks of his performance, amazing like archival a, amazing footage. Ar- that yeah. was yeah. so great, including yeah. at the age of like twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. pulling, pulling, pulling. Younger a bird than out that, he had like yeah. a, he had like a seven year old where he's like trying to put a he puts a, a, a rabbit to sleep and it becomes a bird. And yeah, it's so adorable. There's, there's two kinds of you know, and I I was into magic as a child too, and I was in a touring magic show. I was going to ask you about that. Friends with me, oh, friends with magicians, and and so on, and and there's really there's two kinds of magic, you know, basically you know, you can boil it down. There's there's the kind of magic you think of. Probably with you know the more Vegas you know stage show kind of magic, the David Copperfield kind of thing, where you put the other box and you put the lady in the box and all that kind of stuff. The thing about that is anyone can do that because the box does the trick. Yeah, yeah, there's no work. You know, the stage box, and parlor tricks. The box does that. You know, you just go buy the box and You're tell the girl go. how to sit in it, and it's like, oh, she's been cut in half. Anyone can do that. This is about the true. This is about conjuring a two dollar bill when you're exactly. naked in the shower. Exactly. Yeah. This is about the real, real. <laughs> I love know, that anecdote. Serious, yeah. <laughs> the real serious, serious magicians who, and and that's one of the things the documentary. Although the documentary doesn't do anything groundbreaking in terms of the form no. or how it presents the story, it's just such a fascinating story. And what I really liked about it was, you know, it 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 echoed my experience of the few times that I was privileged to kind of hang out with serious, real magicians. Um, just like just like any group of people who have to work, like it's it's akin to you know hanging out with ninjas or samurai. Yeah, it's like these are people who have dedicated their lives to a thing. Yes, and and you can you know in a way that if you're not one of those people, you can only peripherally appreciate what they've done and how you know what their sacrifice was. But this was their choice, and when they get together in a group, um, you know, you just go, wow, this is like a this is like a secret society. This is a font of, of knowledge of, of this, you know, yeah. of these people who've chosen this. This is their direction in They're, life, and the, the 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 documentary really, really does, I thought, beautifully underscore that. That it's yes. like it's not just hey, he's pretty good with cards, huh? It's like no, this is a lifetime, yeah, a lifetime of focused, concerted effort to become this one thing that he is. Was that Mamet who one time asked him 
about a trick. It may not have been Mammoth, but he said, or show me a trick. And he goes, here, sure, I'll show you a simple one. Yes. He shows him one little trick, and then he goes, all right, um, become the best person in the world at that, and I'll show you the next one. I'll show you another one. <laughs> they, they, yeah. ta- they talk about that. They ta- that's a scene in there, Mammoth's like, he's like, I came, I took it home, I practiced, I realized this is not my thing. Like, he's yeah. just, this is not me. Like, I don't know how to do this. Then I you think, are not, well, you are not worthy. On a, on a technical level, the film is is basically interviews, and then it's just it's a, the standard documentary practice. If if you're just trying to do a biography, or if you're just trying to tell, it's a, less a biography than I thought it would be. It's it, actually it is. more yeah. a history, well, and, and I'll get to that. And well, it's a history of the craft through Ricky Jay's eyes. Yeah. Is is how is was my takeaway from it? Is that and but his eyes are so unique because he was literally born into this. His grandfather. It goes in great detail about his, his grandfather. Pulled out of a hat. Yeah. yeah his yeah. <laughs> is as who his grandfather was and how that and like the relationships his grandfather had and like he had a pretty famous uh, prestidigitator. Uh, do his bar mitzvah you know what I mean so like yeah. it was it, mm. it was he was kind of born into this and he did this interesting thing where he was like performing professionally at 14 and going I'm not gonna do this when I grow up I'm just doing this now as a lark and then sure enough you know his grandfather dies he moves out of, uh, out of the house he starts tending bar and then he just be, he's the the forward momentum is already there um, how you assemble a documentary of this typically is you you film your interviews you transcribe your interviews you start cutting and pasting just the words together. You create often what's called a radial cut, which is just, you don't care about visually. You just, this is the order of the information as I want it to flow. We're going to have a timeline. That's just him talking about this. It's going to have a timeline of him and Mammoth. We're going to have a timeline of this and that. And then you start constructing and then you start slugging in the appropriate coverage. And the that's, that's how to make a, a documentary one one. what this movie does differently. That does transcend that is that you really get a sense of the romanticism. You really get a sense of like his, need for this and they're able to extrapolate like you know a lot of times just the relationship of magic uh on stage with people and you get these great scenes from like the dinosaur show and like <laughs> steve martin tries to pull a fast one on him and like folding it behind his back without him seeing it and he like it's like oh okay so and and steve martin's like here's 50 51 dollars on like uh, that i'll bet it and sure enough he does it and he completely flips the script and like he's able to change that card with the exact same fold and you just see Steve Martin's face just drop. Like, yeah, but Steve, Steve Martin is also a stage musician. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, like, so it's, he all, it's, all, it. it's all, again, it's all part of the show. Exactly. So it's like, but, and, yeah. I guess, and I guess that point is like the, the, necess- the necessity, there's a line in there that stuck with me that I wish I could remember now, but it's like, um, you know, the idea that um, it's, it's because they make the comparison to card sharks a lot and he's like, the difference is that with, sta- with magic, Everybody makes this agreement like, okay, I'm going to sit in this chair and you're going to deceive me and I'm going to be a part of that. Card Sharks is like, no, I'm going to deceive you and take your money. And it's that in a weird way because Ricky, unlike the guy, Frederick from the Imposter, makes a clear point. I was 17. I moved out. I have no relationship with my family. His family is just whatever the audience is and then the craft. And that just fascinated me. And like you get that even with just placements of B-roll and music and the archival, you always get this tone of wonder and you always get this yeah. tone of just whimsy through it that I really, really that, And also for me, a sense of sort of inevitability. Like there's no sense yeah. of like, yeah, I thought about being a, you know, a, a doctor. It's like, no, it's like for, you know, for whatever reason, this was the, you know, from birth, this was the channel this that I was just in. There was there was no getting Ricky out of it. Ricky J is the, the like closest real world analog to Dumbledore we're ever going to get. Yeah, right? exactly. Now, one of the things that was actually fascinating to me was just a revelation for me personally. I'll just mention is is in you talk about the Dinosaur era and the Mike Douglas show yeah. and Merv Griffin and things like that. In that era, um, 
he was rocking the kind of like the rock and roll magician. Yeah, the thing. young hip kid. He, he had the long, he had his hair very very long and black, and he wear it down straight, and he'd wear like a you know tux, but kind of a hip tux. Yeah, you know, with the with the purple the blue purple shirt. ruffles and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I, as I was watching the documentary, it was like. I remember that guy. I used to see that guy. I love that guy. I guess, That's Ricky but, J. But then he went away for 10 years and came back with a haircut and was Ricky J. He was Ricky J then too, but he was like, Ricky J, the crazy, wacky, hip magician. And I just never put it together that that guy that I used to watch on the talk shows when I was a kid oh, was also Ricky J. Uh, you should have seen... Like, well, that makes perfect sense now. You should have seen the look on my face when I originally saw... The first time as a kid, I saw Happy Days with Pat Morita. My world oh, wow. crumbled in front wow. of me. I'm like, Mr. Miyagi, no! What are you doing? <laughs> Arnold. Spatula. His name's not Arnold. <laughs> yeah, it just. I mean, not just. I mean, I, I mean, your kid. You accept actors play different roles, but that one is just like Ricky J. In his current mm. incarnation, is so iconic and really hasn't changed physically in 20 years. Yeah, he's, but he's, but it's such a drastic change from back then. From uh, Boogie Nights on, he's yeah. been the card shark thing. I think is exactly why I don't. Um, why what my that's a perfect embodiment of what my issues are with, uh, with the imposter. Oh really? You're following, yeah. You're following a Weasley card shark kind of guy. Interesting. Who's pulling that illusion without the implicit agreement of with the other person, with the audience that yeah. yes, this is a thing that we're going to do now. Well, I think there's also you know, not to bring, that totally makes sense. I think there's something to be said though for like a, a, a explicit agreement and an implicit agreement. There's an explicit agreement with with magic where it's like I'm going to sit here. There's an explicit agreement. I, I agree to be fooled. I think I you know and not to not to put too fine a point on it but i think again the grieving family there's an implicit agreement of end our pain you know like do yeah. something to make this better and i think it's one of those unsaid things you know that like the worst i mean frankly it's one of those unsaid things where that result in like really bad decisions but i still think it's a sort of mutual usury um this movie, I just, I, I just dug. It was just fun. I it passes the lecture test for me because, and for the in case your first episode you're hearing, my lecture test is basically like the Plinkett test for documentaries. If I'm able to glean the exact same information by a dude at a TED talk on a lectern with photos and some multimedia or, or as he's talking, article. or a Wikipedia article, which is even worse. That's yeah. the audiobook version. That's even worse than the lecture yeah. version. If if I'm able to get the same information that way, then you as a documentary have not done your job in elevating the information. And this passes it again because you get this sprawling sense of family and his connection is deep connection to the magic world. Um, and again, yeah, you could just watch stu- uh, uh, you know, B roll behind a dude on a stage watching it, but there is something to be said about the placement of that information editorially that really kind of unfolded. It is the, the bits of information come in chunks. They definitely come episodic in a lot of ways. It's true. It's, it's, it's true. I mean, it's as much as I just said that it's very straightforward. It's not, there's not a thread. rudimentary straightforward. Yeah. It's told very straightforward, but in amongst all this archival footage, what's the thread is this portrait of the guy and his inner life and his motivations right. and so on is is there without ever. Here's my motivation for everything I do. Blah 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 blah. Right. But you get by choosing what they've show, what they show you, you get this really interesting sense about you know that there's like a deep a deep well of you know sort of this deep well of sort of he always has kind of a sad kind of vibe about him in his performances like there's there's also some there's pain in there and everything else and the movie really the documentary really kind of brings that out what's an interesting thing about the construction though in that what he's doing basically with this movie the director and then i guess ricky by extent is showing through ricky's eyes how great all these other magicians were yes and I, i worry I know how badass Ricky Jay is, but I worry that the movie doesn't actually make a very strong statement about how, in case it's not clear, you guys, Ricky is one of these guys, if not one of the best of these guys. Yeah, but I, th- I think, and, like, the be- of course, because at, at least, at least currently, the best of right. Those guys. He's, he's at very, at the very least, he's this generation's those guys, and yeah. it, you know, and that's the sort of thing that you can't ever have when you're doing it with this construction with the guy who you're talking about 
being the person who's telling you the story because he's yeah. not going to frame himself in that way. He's not going to go, you know what I am, though? I am pretty much the uh, ruler and sorcerer of car magic for the last 40 years. I, I, I think I pretty much rule. He's, much he's, definitely, he's definitely doing the Francis Bacon, if I only see further, I've stood on the shoulder of giants type thing. He's definitely making that argument. And I, I get what you're saying, but I think as a lay person who is not familiar with magic, is I, I play poker. I, I used to play poker like pretty religiously. But outside of that, I don't have much magic experience. To me just seeing him, especially in those first opening shots, like there's some great, there's a great editorial device, editorial device that they use to transition us from scenes. And that's these really cool close-ups of just like him shuffling cards and with really cool sound design underneath it. And that kind of punctuates each little kind of story beat at a time. Um, Just that alone was just like, okay, you're obviously really awesome. And then, (laughs) and then when you see him in contrast to, uh, again, from an outsider's perspective, you see him in contrast to these older magicians doing their bits, you're like, Ricky's just as good, frankly, if not better than some of these other dudes. So yeah. from, from, in the chat, they're saying that, yeah, his humility actually com- completely carries the point. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, just, you know, from that, it, it, um, it reminds me in a lot of ways. I, I think uh, the ultimate Dunning-Kruger effect <laughs> <laughs> to get to get um, there's a there's a technique a lot of documentaries use, which is like when you're doing it about a subject, uh, if you ever want to really establish that person's position in their relative world. You don't, you never have them say it or describe their milestones. You have other people describe the milestones. It's like Kiro dreams of sushi. It's yeah, like exactly. he never once goes, I'm the greatest sushi chef ever. It's, it's the guy from Michelin going, yeah, yeah, he's the first Michelin star sushi chef, like period. Uh, but also the, the thing it reminded me of in a lot of ways was uh, not just for how great they are, but for their character and who they are. You get those best moments from other people in the stock. Mm-hmm. Um, his friend saying like, uh, you know, his friend describing like, um, he's the kind of person that like, once you burn a bridge with me, you're done. That's just, that's yeah. that, that magician absolutism that exists with him. It reminded me of a scene from, um, Dave Chappelle's block party. And there's a scene where Dave Chappelle's just fucking around on piano and he's playing, uh, play Misty for me. And, uh, uh, no, he's, um, it's Misty. He's playing Misty around midnight around midnight. He's playing, he's playing, but he the point is, is that, uh, quest love from the roots is right there. And he's saying like, Dave can play two songs on piano, Misty and around midnight. And he said, and then you see, and he's just playing it. And Questlove kind of goes, and I really dig that. That's kind of a beautiful thing. He's like, he's devoted himself to playing two songs perfectly. Yeah. You know it's what like I mean? Like, dad. It's like, exactly like my dad. Where, you know, there's a story about my dad where he was playing, a, they needed a guy to play bass in this like company picnic band thing that like employers from the company were playing and no one at the company played bass. And my dad was playing bass on the stage when I went there with my mom and my sister and I'm like I didn't know you know how to play bass he's like no I don't I don't know how to play bass I can play two songs but I can memorize where fingers go real fast like it's a pretty simple sequence just put your fingers there and tap the string that's it and I was like, it never occurred to me this whole paradigm of <laughs> you could also just not know how to do it and wrote memorize the, the sequence of finger movements right. and play a song that way too but yeah exactly the same thing where you know he can play two songs can you play the piano no <laughs> but he can play two songs Sorry. Enjoyment wise, Paul, where did you like on the enjoyment scale of this film? Where did you find yourself? Like just in just digging, enjoying, having fun with it. Absolutely, yeah. I very much enjoy uh, these films about mastery and about masters. It's kind of becoming its own little subgenre where yeah. it's yeah. like a character piece, yeah. kind of like um, Jiro's a lot like that. Like yeah, yeah like a Jiro James Sushi, King of, King of Kong, really, King, King of Kong, Kong being Elmo, like these movies yeah. where yeah. you have your. Just like here's somebody who has dedicated their life to becoming. King of Kong sums it up in that be. great sentence: "Is like, yeah, I know it's a stupid thing, but what are you the best in the world at?" Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So. That's a great mic dropping moment, and it's yeah. like it, it's kind of weird because like we're fascinated. I think it, it's a sad statement on our society: the fact that like that level of excellence in something is, is we have to make a movie about it. Like it's just <laughs> there. It's you almost want to romanticize a, a time when everybody was just fucking awesome at something, and like 
we're all in this great push towards the middle as our society is kind of like heading us towards like that, that's actually that's never happened you, the only people that we know from it's 100 totally, years ago are the ones that are it's totally romanticizing the past and constructing something that never existed but I think there's a hunger for that which is I think why we get fascinated by these stories of people just being really exceptional and I think the imposter is a lot like that too you know I mean like we're kind of like T or like Trey said like we're kind of fascinated by like how good this guy was yeah. And, yeah. or at least the circumstances that made him good to make this un this impossible thing possible uh mike you, you saw you never saw deceptive practices i have not seen the ricky j i'm Do- fam- i'm yet, familiar yeah. with ricky j but i have right. not seen the uh, documentary we're discussing which is why i've kind of kept my mouth shut <laughs> can you throw a card into someone's face yeah. <laughs> that'd be cool uh, I, I i had on uh, on vhs the uh the Jeff McBride special. tapes well, oh. I did have Jeff McBride. Jeff McBride was always back in the '90s. They would do uh, World's Greatest Magic specials right, every yeah. Thanksgiving. There were like five of them in a row, and Jeff McBride. Matt King was hosting. Matt a King lot. was on that all yeah. the time. Jeff yeah. McBride was on it all the time, doing his his uh, card stuff. And Ricky Jay only occasionally, but Ricky Jay had his own special, and it was the one where he threw cards into right. a watermelon. And, yeah, yeah. And I would watch that one a lot. It's it's interesting. What's interesting about Ricky Jay to me. Is that his performances, like you said, there's kind of a, a, a weird sadness to them and stuff like yeah. that. But it, there's also this professorial thing he yeah. does. And it's it almost seems like it's very dry and that it should be boring, but somehow it's super compelling <laughs> yeah. and never actually is boring. It's funny you mention that because like a lot of, uh, up until really recently, I feel like documentaries in general have had that sort of thing. Like it's just going to be dry and just going to be educational and you know, you kind of had to do work to like, hey, who's going to stay in and watch a documentary? Like that's never uh-huh. a sentence that's really been uttered. Yeah. I oh think, God. I think now it's become a bit popular. You get a lot of stoner friends going, dude, you got to see Zeitgeist. Like, oh I mean, you get, yeah, exactly. you get that shit happening a lot. But like for me- well, it's because they MTV'd up documentaries now and, and that's- a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, but in the most basic and fucking like just uh, just maudlin ways. And yeah. when I think of like fun documentaries, this is all your fault, Eddie. I do <laughs> it. When they get to know, no, hey, I make bridal. We trusted sh- you. I make ninjas running courses and brides choosing gowns. God damn it. Uh, there, no, uh, there's um. <laughs> I think put those two together and I'll watch. <laughs> it's, it's called, called Wipeout. Uh, okay. That's basically oh. the show. Uh, but no, that's um you. W- this is one of those documentaries that's just like it's fun, man. Like yeah. you just have fun yeah. watching it. And King of Kong definitely. Jiro Dreams of Sushi might be outside of most people's fun index because it's very Japanese in the sense that it's just very minimal. It's a very it's, again, there it's, is no fun. It's a yeah. fascinating topic. The top, yeah. you know, the topic of you know this that you know we've talked about this. Uh, the documentaries can be any number of things. Of course, one is like here's a weird thing I bet you didn't know about. I mean, yeah. if, if, if as long as it's a fascinating thing, right, and it's in focus, you know, well, mm. sure, yeah, <laughs> sh- show it to me. I'll you know. Let me Show it in my face, that, yeah. you know? Then there's ones that transcend and they have, you know, have a, have a different, have other layers to them. But, uh, you know, but the Ricky J one to me, you know, and people who are also drawn to the topics like that, it's like, just, I, I would watch the entire clip of Dinosaur. Just do it. Just exactly. show me the whole thing. You know, I'm, I'm in. And I've never heard a more crisply, uh, elucidated ex- examination and explanation for what magicians do than an anecdote that happens in the movie where, a guy that he was he, like Ricky J was like into boxing for a little while or something. And his yeah. trainer was like, Oh, this is Ricky J. He does a cool trick. He's a magician. He do us a trick. And he did him a trick where like, uh, he said, can I have a dollar? And he tore up the dollar mm-hmm. and then folded it and then unfolded it. And it was a crisp $2 bill. And everyone was like, Whoa, that's really cool. That's really cool. And his trainer was like, you know, kind of side eye, like, huh? Interesting. And sometime later, like in the showers, like Ricky's in the shower, <laughs> he is not wearing clothes. Okay. <laughs> like weeks, months later. Yeah. This is months later, months later. The guy, the owner of the company comes up, like the trainer, and says, hey, Ricky, show us that trick again. And he 
does in the shower <laughs> in the shower he produces a crisp two dollar bill uh, you don't want to know where the bill's been uh, <laughs> yeah really. but that is that's a perfect it's a distillation of what the whole thing is where it's like yeah. it's it's i mean they say it in the prestige too your life is the is yeah. the act that's the yes. discipline <laughs> and and that's and that's, two months later, like it wasn't like he, he was ready to do it again in like an hour just two months later randomly he was ready for that to happen. To, like I am, I am here now. I need to be prepared to be able to do this. Yeah. If somebody asks me that again, yeah. like that's probably yeah. all you have. You only have to do that once, and your right. legend is assured. <laughs> and exactly. I didn't even, People by the way, tell spo- that story for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I didn't even spoil the doc for you because there's a one other story that's exactly like that, but more mind blowing. Yeah. That's yeah. in the doc. There's there's a um, another um, podcast I listen to where where you know lots of people are are you know kind of magicians on the side and stuff like that, and talking about. Uh, also, based on what you were talking about, the the happy accident where it's like, whenever I'm doing a card trick and I'm pulling out like a random card, you know, it's like the middle of the, the trick or something, I'm getting another card. I'll go, is this your card? And most of the time it's not. <laughs> but sometimes. And I play it off as a joke. <laughs> yeah. But that one time it is. Yeah. And there is no way I could have done that. The trick ends and I never show that person another <laughs> trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, That's, and Ricky J has always combined magic with con men. Mm-hmm. He sort of, he no. sort of, he sort of has a dual discipline. Ricky J should have been in the sting. He's also fascinated by the idea of you know illusion versus you know the, 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 what is that line between the mutual agreement like go ahead and fool me to wait a minute you fooled me and I don't like it yeah. right you know that there's a there's a gray area in the middle there and and so he's also very much about con men and you know often David Mamet will use him to you know be the men. shady guy Does anybody know that if he like, ever has like a show in Vegas if they have to put him on a hand truck and wrap him up in a jacket before well, there's he, uh, yeah, there's, exactly. a line there's in, also you know oh, and he's he's oh, even been a con and you know scam artist yeah. you know consultant on other movies he consulted books on quite on a few topics. well because he also has a lot of friends because they they mentioned in the doc like he's doing a show and then somebody backstage is like oh yeah there's like seven or eight professional card sharks in there guys who yeah. go into poker games and just exactly. scam and they're just in their way they're just as good as magicians yeah. but they're it's applying different it differently and the guy's like oh my god do you think they'll come back today? he's like probably not like yeah. said, probably not oh yeah I don't want today. you to know who they are yeah. there's a fascinating book that I have uh, about um about card sharks that uh, it wasn't a Ricky. I don't think it's a Ricky J book um, but he's, I don't think he wrote it or anything but it's it's about it might have been it's about um that there was a legendary card shark that people would talk about that who could deal, you know, cause, cause like the obvious one is like, if you deal from the bottom of the deck, you know, you stack the deck underneath and the bottom, you got aces loaded on the bottom of the deck yeah. or whatever you go, oh, da, 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 ace for me, da, bottom da, 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 ace for me. But everyone kind of knows that you that's can be, a, that's a standard trick. You can yeah. be really good at it, yeah. but people can be really good at spotting it too. It's, it's easy to spot. Bottom exactly. Deal. But this is a yeah. book about, there was a guy who was, there's a guy who can deal from the middle. Like literally you and you can't see it. He can deal. He'll literally have it. Somehow he's got the cards. So, you know, you can show on the bottom of the deck and it's there's no, you know, it's not loaded down there. And he can do this thing where he can. It's like it's, it's the same thing. It's like card sharks would no. I seriously, there's a guy who can do it, and it was a legend. And people would go, "You can't do that. There's no way that can be done." <laughs> um, and so the book is about how this guy set out to like find the guy to see if this was true and it was true and this guy like literally just 
how'd you do it? I practiced. You have no idea how much I practiced it. And then it was like, well, teach me. It was like, I, you're not worthy to learn the trick. Right. So the, the whole book about, you know, this guy who not, no, that's getting it down to like one thing, one thing, yeah. one trick, one thing that the rest of the magicians are all going, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? And it was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, you know, I'm not going to What's really cool about that and how sad it is to imagine that that knowledge is going to die with him. And someone in a thousand years is going to figure it out again. But between now and then, no one's going to know how to do it. Uh, is that, when you get when you combine that sort of thing, this incredible specific knowledge about very very minute things, you can end up with really interesting sort of advancements in the understanding of human nature. Apparently, it's Ricky that does that. Is it Ricky? He deals from the middle. Yeah, he deals from the, and they show him doing that. Yeah. They show him like dealing. Yeah. He's like, oh, ace, it might have been. Oh, it might have been. He might have written the book. That might be yeah. why I bought it. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, in any case, um, one of the interesting little anecdotes years, I love is that book. Teller of Penn and Teller, who is by all rights one of the better magicians alive. Uh, he is incredibly, he's incredibly like good. The the most knowledgeable. He's like a yeah. He's, he's, a, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a library. He's a walking library. Yeah. A big part of the documentary. One of the, I'm sorry. One, one sec. Okay. What one thing that he uh, was able to do was he was he ended up talking with uh, neurologists or behavioral neuropsychologists, mm-hmm. and he was able to give them an oh, insight yeah. that they had never had before, which is that he had learned just through trying you know various shit, trial and error. This one works. A certain thing about the human brain they didn't understand before, which is that we are incredibly good at plotting trajectories in our heads. An an audience, if a guy is doing a sleight of hand move where his hand goes from point A to point B straight, we'll always look at his hand because we, 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 or we'll look where it's going and we'll always catch the trick, whatever the little slight is that he's doing when he gets there. Hmm. But if you add a tiny, tiny, little, meaningless arc to the path, so it's not moving straight from point A to point B, but it's kind of curving to point B. Your brain, it short circuits your brain in some meaningless, innocuous way, and you never look at it. There's a whole book uh, called Slights of Mind about how how uh, magicians essentially unknowingly use our neurology and our psychology and how they're trying to study that to be like, okay, you're doing this. You just these, these figured guys, out. These guys were hanging out yeah. and having fun trying to entertain themselves, but they're figuring out a lot of brain stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, it's really interesting. I wish it got into a little more. It makes the, sense the book because is light, if but. you, uh, if your brain can tell which way the spear is headed towards yeah. you, then you won't die. Yeah. But I, I, which way the rock is falling, which yeah. way the tree I, branch is coming down. I would also say that, um, i and I think, uh, some of, some of Ricky's tricks fall into this too. The, the line between magic and con man uh, yeah. between, between, uh, explicit and implicit. There's, there's a certain construction of magic trick where, you do the trick and then you do a little more on top of it and there's uh, mm. and and so the real trick is is the bit after the audience has essentially let their guard down the and Simpsons like, joke yeah. version of yeah. the they're like yeah. they're like okay you did the trick that was fun you fooled me and then the, and then the the other trick yeah. comes and there's a there's a certain surprise and delight there but there's in in part that also comes from the the part of the audience be going, "Hey, wait a second! Yeah. I didn't say I didn't say you were allowed to do that part." Yeah, Dana, like, Dana Gould you didn't has tell a, me you were going to do yeah. that. Dana you Gould has me a, too um, much, and I'm yeah. not sure I like it. There's a good Dana Gould story where he when he first started writing for The Simpsons, where like he wasn't really getting it mm-hmm. until he understood that a Simpsons joke is a joke, and then a joke on the joke. Uh huh. Yeah. And then that's that so was the, the system it. for the show mm-hmm. for years and to bring it back why it was so damn funny to bring it back uh i think that's kind of like i think maybe that's why the deception in the imposter worked because we found your missing child okay uh, an authority calls you and said we think we found your missing child okay but he's in france that's weird <laughs> so him suddenly having 
you know, different color hair and a gap in his tooth and a French accent. It's just more weird on top of yeah. weird. You know what I mean? And so that whole, and the reason why I paired these two movies together is because again, that whole blurring the line of implicit and explicit agreement, I think both films are able to explore. It's a, it's a re- consent. Issue. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and it's a gray area. And I don't think either movie is necessarily trying to, uh, certainly the deceptive practice is not trying to answer anything. It's just literally trying to present an art form through one of the master's eyes and it becomes wholly enjoyable and it becomes wholly, just fun to watch the imposter. I wouldn't say is it's certainly thrilling to watch. I think, especially once you get into the meat of it. But uh, that's why I think both of these movies kind of work together. I want to get a final note on both uh, Teague and in your, in your opinion, which one is more enjoyable and which one is sort of like the, the you think is sort of the, uh, the one that lands for you a little bit better. They are both just crazy different there. there there's very few similarities aside from these things that we found and, and the, the sort of shared sort of subjective truth of things and, and illusion and all that. But as actual craft pieces they're really far apart and i like both a lot for different reasons i i have to imagine i'm carrying so much admiration and interest in ricky jay with me to deceptive practice that i liked it as much as the imposter which means i probably liked the imposter more on its own merits just because i didn't bring anything to that one and liked it almost basically as much as the other one so i think the imposter is more in terms of like this is a very fascinating weird cool documentary watch this the imposter probably takes the cake on that one but i could watch ricky j do i could watch all of the dailies from the ricky j documentary yeah, exactly. and, that's true. and enjoy yeah. it just as much as the final piece so you know i, I think the the deceptive practice is a fine uh documentary it's well done i found it fascinating but i would have found it fascinating regardless uh, i think he did a great job with it but i was an easy target on that one so i, I go the imposter for that one to be honest with gotcha. you but both are great paul no taxonomy no ranking or anything like that but you got two hours you got an afternoon to kill which one do you pop in first uh, I'll watch Ricky J. Just fun, right? Yeah. Um, one of these movies is getting in an unmarked cab at the airport, and the other one is going on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Nice. Nice. I like that. I really like that. I really. I don't think you can say anything beyond that. That's like really kind of awesome. That's <laughs> good night, everybody. I know. Seriously, uh, Mike, you haven't seen uh practices yet, but just in I opinion. haven't seen Ricky J's the the Ricky J one, but I'm kind of I I'm on kind of the same uh, boat as Teague on that one. Whereas the Imposter, it's like that was a fascinating documentary, and and I'm you know I'm I'm glad I experienced it, and I would recommend it to other people just to be like that's it's crazy fucked up, and you got to check it out. <laughs> um, but two hours, you know, with nothing to do i'm more likely to watch the ricky j one especially since i haven't seen it yet but i would assume i would be fine <laughs> sure watching it over and over again as well because i sure watched the hell out of that tape i had of him <laughs> <laughs> tribbles yeah i uh it's just making me I, i'm gonna go back home and, and watch the rest of the imposter sure um even though i know how it ends but then they tell you how it ends in the first two minutes so much, you yeah, know, you know. Know, that's fine they've already spoiled it um I didn't want to go back and finish it. Like I said, I did not turn it off because because I didn't like it. I was I thought it was great so far, so I want to definitely see the rest of it. Um, but this conversation made me also want because I saw the Ricky J when it came out online like a month ago on iTunes or whatever. Um, I was like, oh, I should see. I want to see that again now. I want to watch that <laughs> again um, because yeah, it's just again this like Teague. It's like well. You know, you could tell me I, I will, you know, a two hour documentary about Penn and Teller. I'll watch that two hour documentary about any stage magician yeah, you can name. You know, I, yeah, let's, you know, I'll do it. I'll go to the Magic Castle and, you know, watch them do it live. I'll yeah. do whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's for the, for fun and enjoyment, sure. But, uh, but the imposter is, is, you know, also a fascinating topic about, uh, about, you know, 
things we believe and things we want to believe. Totally. I think it's a good way to wrap it up. I, at the end of the day, you know, if you, if you've got one, if you've got one movie left to watch before you die, I, hmm. a, I feel bad for you. Uh, yeah. but luck, luckily for most, <laughs> choose carefully. Yeah. Choose carefully. Uh, but again, yeah, that's not the world we live in. The world we live in, you have time and you have availability to see both of these. The imposter is available on Netflix streaming, Amazon and iTunes, uh, deceptive practices available on iTunes and Amazon. This has been documentality, part of the friends in your head network at friends, your uh, go to the forums, uh, friends in your head.com. Like us on Twitter, uh, friends, your friends in Urhead on Twitter, or friends in your head, friends Ur, in Urhead on Ur-head. Twitter. We, we ran out of letters. I know we ran out of letters. Damn, every, uh, it was either going to be friends in Urhead or friends in your head. Facebook, like us, <laughs> hold and hold designs in your head. <laughs> Holden Hill designed the website. Uh, we have a PayPal button. I'm not asking, just saying, fuck it, I'm asking. We got some things planned. We need money. Yeah. Uh, we start demanding pretty soon, people. <laughs> yeah. So, for Documentality, uh, this has been Eddie Doty, Teague Christie, Paul Santagon, Mike Scott, Trace Dokes. This has been Documentality. Good night, good night. Friendsinyourhead.com. <laughs>